coming to us live from Tampa, DB, in a robe this morning. It's uh, very early in the morning here in Los Angeles. It's it's approaching lunchtime there in in Tampa. What's going on in the Stanley Cup final? The the, the Cup might be awarded tonight, DB. Yeah, yeah. Greetings from the JW Marriott, John. I I like to say it's a very comfy bed here. So uh, it's it's and it's literally I I think you've been it's literally like 100 yards from yep. the uh, arena so i can don't have to take a shuttle i can just walk there and uh, uh yeah it could be awarded but you know there's a lot of upset <laughs> avalanche personnel on uh, uh yesterday flying back to, to tampa Look, there's a very resilient team they're playing and to think they were going to lose uh in five i picked colorado in six i think you did too i had um, them at seven yeah, I'm seven. Yeah, so yeah, so I'm all in on Tampa tonight, so they can get to are. Game Seven. <laughs> and and dude, it could get there because look, they won one three two game. They lost one three two game. Braden Point is out. He's got a he's got a serious injury. He, he tried going, but look, Vasilevsky played great. They were opportunistic, and Mayor, they this might Colorado if they win, they may be the best team with the worst goaltender ever to win a Stanley Cup. Like Darcy Kemper, I'm sorry, the first goal by Ruda, even the third goal. It's just their save percentage, I think, is 899 or something like that. So it's 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 a really, really good team. I won't call them great because they haven't won yet. But uh, the, the goaltending suspect, and, yeah, I could be flying home. I'm going to fly home for a day. Might have to fly back to Denver on Tuesday for Game 7, which would be would be epic. I think the last team to rally from 3-1 was one of the Oilers teams in the 80s or something to rally back from a 3-1 deficit. There was a lot of celebration. And you know what it reminded me of? It reminded me of – Game four in L.A., where everybody had was ready. They were ready to celebrate, clinching game. And we did pregame, and my partner, Irv Gafar, goes, I don't know, a lot of bad juju, a lot of stuff, talking about the cups in the building and all that stuff. And the, the visitors found a way to spoil the party. So that reminded me of, of, of game four. Eventually, obviously, the, the Kings went on to win the, the cup. But uh, it's going to be a very intriguing game tonight. And uh, Colorado's in for a big challenge. You know, DB, you talk about juju and, and that sort of stuff and how sometimes you can just feel it. I've often pointed to two particular games where I've never been more confident in the outcome. Game four, the year that you're referencing in 2012, I knew at the morning skate the Kings were not going to win that night. You could just tell. Yeah. You could feel it. You could see it in their eyes. You just had that feeling. And the opposite feeling I've referenced before as well, game seven in San Jose you knew the Kings were going to win that game seven. You go into the Kings locker room at morning skate, you go into the Sharks locker room at morning skate, and 
it was a vastly different setting in both rooms. And you just knew the Kings were going to find mm-hmm. a way to win that game seven. So it is interesting how, how you can just sometimes sort of feel it. But DB, I think that the most impressive thing was the comeback after the heartbreaker. I mean, you watch John Cooper at the press conference and he's emotional yeah. and you know, the, the overtime goal I'm talking about. And, mm-hmm. you know, I don't, I don't want to debate whether there were too many men on the ice or whatever the game's over. It's on the, you know, yeah. the final score has been recorded in the annals of time. But right. the point is, that was such an emotional letdown that you wondered, at least I did, how Tampa was going to respond in the next game. Were they, were they going to come out full of piss and vinegar? And were they going to, mm-hmm. were, are they out to prove a point? Or did they just have the, their hearts ripped out and that was going to be the end of it? Because getting up for a playoff, getting up for a regular season game for 60 minutes is hard enough. Sure. Getting up for a playoff game where every shift is mm-hmm. so critical, every touch of the puck can determine the outcome of the game. That's a that's a real push that the Tampa Bay Lightning had to make. And then DB, they're up. And then that game ends up getting tied late. And you're thinking, oh, boy, here we go. Yeah. Colorado's going to find a way to pull this out at home, feed off the energy of the crowd. Mm-hmm. But no, Tampa found a way to do it. Yeah, we did our post-game videos. I said it was a heroic effort. And it was. Because at 2-2, that's exactly what you thought. Like, okay, get the cup ready. Here it comes. It's going to be here. And it Vasilevsky was great. They found a way to win. And they fought Palat. I know the guy's going to go to free agency and John, he's second in history in the franchise of in playoff goal scored. Like second, Andre Palat. He is such a valuable player to that team. And that's the one thing. Going back to game three, uh, game five, uh, four, the game they lost in overtime to uh, at home, their top guys didn't do it. I think Palat, Kucherov, and Stammer had five shots on goal in seventy-two plus minutes of time. And there was, and I, I get the over, I get the uh, the too many man. It was it doesn't get called. Whatever. Like they had so many chances to win that game. They were up. They uh, they were over two on the power play. They blew two leads. They let the fourth line score a goal in the third period. So there were a myriad of reasons why they lost that game. But I think it was a heroic effort because you're right. At two-two, three minutes into the third period, you're thinking, okay. This game is, it's, it's, you know, I, I started asking one of the PR people for NHL, are we going back on the ice? He goes, yeah, the procedures are right here. And I think that was very something, but the big line found a way. And here we are back in Tampa for game six. Hey, look, if you want to talk about Andre Pilat, I think that the one thing we also have to mention, given the timing of the year DB and the fact that we're going to be talking about the NHL draft coming up uh, here in the third period mm-hmm. of today's program, let's not forget that that he was drafted not only not only in the seventh round, DB, he was drafted at the end of the seventh round. There were only, I believe, three players that were picked uh, after him in that draft. So you're not just talking seventh round, which is late enough. You're talking late at the end of the seventh yeah. round. He almost wasn't drafted. I think that's really important because we spend far too much time as media and fans and the hockey world in general talking about guys that are first round picks, talking about mm-hmm. guys that are second round picks. And they certainly have earned the hype, right? Because they are highly skilled players. But what it proves once again is that this game is not just about the highly skilled players. It's about 23 guys. It's actually about more than that DB because you need some depth as well, but it's about yeah. those secondary and tertiary players. Those guys that are, are considered to be a little bit further down the depth chart in an organization, but man, sometimes they're just late bloomers DB and they develop at a later stage, or sometimes they're just big game players. And the bigger the stage, the more comfortable they are. And they find a way to score those big goals. You look at a guy like him, a seventh yeah. round draft pick, and it just reminds you of the old saying about how the real work begins the day after the draft, 
And it's so true. The draft is fun. We all have a a good time trying to slot players in and, you know, uh, uh, looking at the new recruits that are coming in for the next crop of prospects. But DB, the work really begins the next day. And the draft doesn't determine a player's future in the National Hockey League. Yeah. And that's I remember when we talked to uh, Blake Lazat, he goes, it didn't matter. I didn't get drafted. First, third, fourth, seventh, not drafted. You're right. It's just a number. Or for some players, it's not even a number. And it's about the what's the big D word development. After that, it's like what you do with that talent, what you do, the organization, how they fit you in. And and it takes time to 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 get this talent on earth. And like with Andre Pilates, a first. He's eventually going to get paid. He's been an integral part of that championship puzzle. And if he does go to free agency, it's going to be, they're going to be a lesser team for it. Yeah. There were only three players uh, selected after him DB, but I won't waste your time and tell you who they are. <laughs> Interestingly enough though, one of those players did play almost 200 games. So it wasn't just Andre Palat that was down there at the bottom of the league, but anytime that you can play over 50 games in the NHL, you're considered a real NHL player, a legit right. NHL player. Some guys play a couple hundred games. Some guys, of course, like Drew Doughty uh, coming up on 1,000 games next year. I love the milestones, DB. We're going to have a lot yeah. to talk about next oh, yeah. season. Uh, sure. <laughs> we'll, have, we'll have to get into that as, as time permits. Before we move into uh, some other stuff here today, and we do have Jeff Chikrin. That's Jeff, not Jacob. We have Jeff <laughs> Chikrin coming on the program. He uh, uh, everyone. <laughs> former L.A. King DB, by the way, yeah. had two tours of duty. So many guys back then. Robitaille, Blake, et cetera. So many guys had multiple tours of duties uh, with the LA Kings and, and Jeff Chikrin certainly fits that bill involved in a couple of big trades. We'll get into that. Uh, names like Yari Curry and I think Mark Recchi was involved in uh, all, all sorts of fun stuff. Uh, but we'll do some numerology as well. But before mm-hmm. we do, let's continue setting the table from the Stanley Cup side of things. Uh, yeah. we, we haven't had a show where the two of us have connected since the Gary Bettman press conference. And that's always a fun time because the sure. commissioner of the league sort of shares some thoughts and DB, the ratings are up. The league seems to be healthy. A team was sold recently in Nashville, but uh, just mm-hmm. give us a couple of league wide bullet points that you've been able to, to ascertain as you bounced around through the Stanley cup final in Tampa and Colorado. Well, actually Gary came by the, uh, the pregame show with uh, me and Dave Pagnota. And we actually did a one on two on one week. Uh, he thinks that the league is in great shape, right? Uh, the finances, look, the salary cap's going to, go up a little bit. He says it's going to be two to three years before we see substantial growth um, in the salary cap. So it's going to be taking time to work it back the negative escrow over the uh, the pandemic. But the fact that the buildings are full and at capacity and, and and we talked about the networks and I even said, look, I'm not going to disrespect what NBC Sports Network did for 10 years, but this is an entirely different level with ESPN, TNT, and it certainly is from a presentation standpoint, from a rating standpoint. Uh, it's it just, if you're a hockey fan, these are the best times. Plus, John, if you look at the major awards, that's the other thing that, and this is where the league has an opportunity. I think all the major award winners were at least 26 years old or younger. Like this, if you want to, if you want to market to a younger audience, this is the time uh, because that, that's what they've done. And I know there's a little bit of controversy with Kim McCarr over, uh, over Roman Yossi for the NHL awards, but it, it's on healthy track. People want to bring up the Arizona Coyotes building situation, John, but you and I have talked about it. It's a means towards an end, and they can get that development in Tempe done. Then people are going to forget about it in three years. And there have been instances where I remember when the Carolina Hurricanes played in Greensboro, and they topped off the top. Right. So to me, it's it doesn't matter where they're playing right now. They're going to have to bite the bullet. Uh, they've gotten to a bad situation where it's adversarial with Glendale. They don't want them anymore. And the owner of the Phoenix Suns hates the Coyotes for whatever reason, doesn't want them in the downtown building. That would have been a nice solution. So this is their only option. 
And for people say move to Houston, well, your guy in Houston, Tillman Fertitta, would have to want to buy the team. And from what I know, he doesn't want to buy the team. Uh, so it's your only option. So you buy the ball. And hopefully, look, some of the sidelines for some of those fans, it's going to be a lot of fun. I know the negative media and people want to choose to be negative. They're going to rip it apart once they play in there. But there's no other option. And they want it. John, they've dug their heels so deep in this Phoenix market. Like they owned the team for years. So to me, it's not a surprise. And you hope for the best and you hope that building arena deal gets done and it starts moving. Cause if it doesn't, you, you, you do will have to move that to you. Well, DB, I'm going to do some scouting between now and the next podcast. Yes. I'm off to, I'm off to Scottsdale okay. this week. So uh, I'll go out I'll drive down around Tempe and Mesa. I'll Location, find some land. Yeah. I think there's some land down there where they might <laughs> be able to build a, a uh, building as well. Uh, but you know what? I'm going to talk about that later because, uh, it, it's also going to tie back to Brock Faber, who we'll talk about in the third period. Great. I want to touch on two points that you said there. Uh, one is the salary cap. And I do encourage people, I know, shameless plug, but I do encourage people to go to mayorsmanner.com. Yeah. There was an article up there that talked about the salary cap situation. Just type salary cap in the search box on mayorsmanner.com. Did a full breakdown of what the Kings can afford to do. And one of the reasons that I'm mentioning this, though, DB, not just the shameless plug, but to point out that the cap is going to 82.5 next year. But the Kings did incur a penalty for this last year, an overage penalty of $637,000. Now, you might say, well, what's $637,000? Well, when you're a team that's going to potentially mm -hmm. bump up against the cap, that's significant money. Every 100000 counts. So there is a penalty, which means the Kings only have uh, room to work with about 81.8. So they're actually light on the lighter side. Uh, they do have about almost close to $8 million remaining based upon my estimates. And I've plugged into that mm. article, the uh, contract that I project right. for Adrian Kempe, uh, for Grundstrom, uh, for mm. Mikey Anderson, Sean Dersey, et cetera. So there's a lot, a lot going on there. And then the other thing I wanted to mention, DB, to follow up on what you said there, you can't underscore enough the importance of being on ESPN. And I've mentioned this before a couple of years ago on the program when the, when the Kings, when the NHL was not on ESPN. ESPN is the worldwide leader in sports. There's no doubt about it, DB, but right. they also love to promote. And why not? They love to promote properties that they have relationships totally. with. So when the UFC was not in bed with ESPN, right. they just completely ignored the UFC, even though they were doing huge numbers on pay-per-view, huge gate revenue, selling out buildings all around the world. It Fight nights were huge. But ESPN would barely cover it because it was a Fox property. It was the same thing with the National Hockey League. They acknowledged that it existed, but the level of coverage that you get when you're part of the ESPN family versus the mm -hmm. level of coverage that you get when you're not, it is a <laughs> stark contrast. And so, yes, ESPN, they are all in on hockey. Every hockey fan DB should sign up for ESPN Plus. The amount of additional content that's available yeah. there, Linda Cohn has been on the program as well pregame, postgame stuff, plus all of the games, over a thousand games a season, DB, I think. Uh, it's just been a wonderful oh, yeah. relationship yeah. with ESPN, and they do a phenomenal job of promoting the game, and why not, DB? They are the worldwide leader in sports, and they promote a lot of other sports, and so they can tap into what works and what doesn't work yeah. in other leagues and other programming and really help elevate the NHL, and I just think they've done a fabulous job. Yeah, I think the ancillary stuff, I think game night coverage, TNT's better. They're, 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 they're technically, they're better the studio shows more lively with biz obviously biz become a superstar i've seen him a couple of times through the playoffs what, what a great guy i'm so happy for his success but like you said all the other things the ancillary around the game like you mentioned in the crease with linda and linda's a sweetheart you know i've seen her so many, so many times during the season uh it, that helps and not for nothing john like if they didn't have the nhl espn 
Sports Center with SVP, the lead story wouldn't be the Stanley Cup final. It'd be something else. It'd be baseball. It'd be, but now you see routinely they lead with, and they have the point show that they have on during the day, you know, a half hour show dedicated to that. If they didn't have that, they didn't have the rights. There's no way they would have this show on. So it's, it's infinitely better for this league. Um, you see it in the numbers. I think it's just going to increase over time because remember, this is their first, this is TNT's first shot at it. So they're going to improve. They're going to get better. And ESPN hasn't done it for 17 years. So both, both networks will get better over time. Uh, I think you can get up to 22 teams that have been involved of the 30 teams that have been involved in a, in a Stanley cup final uh, since 2005. So just wanted to get your, your reaction to mm-hmm. uh, how things play out. Well, here's what happens. The, the really good teams, they have core fours, right? What, what did Chicago have? Taves, Kane, Keith, uh, Seabrook. What did the Kings have? Kopey Brown, Quick, Dowdy. What does Tampa have? Stammer, Kucherov, Hedman, Vassy. Vassy. Right? So so you have to have a core four. And and even, you know, it's fun, funny. Your guy, Boomer, I was driving. Um, I don't know where I was driving, but I was driving. I, I was home for a day. And Boomer brought up the fact about um, uh, about one of the teams saying, well, will a team just say, screw the draft, and we want to do like the LA Rams did, and just go and go after and go after it. And he said, I, I don't think that's really ever happened, but could it happen? Because I think it was the Phoenix Suns. The Phoenix Suns said, we don't care about the draft. We want other teams to develop. Now, they did draft Devin Booker, who's a star player. And I text Boomer. I'm saying, you know, boom. Uh, if you look at what, the, what Lombardi did, he kind of did it because he got his core four. He didn't draft that well. And he look at all the great trades he made. Like Dean's gift was making trades. And he, he says, hey, man, thanks. He actually used it on the air. So it's I, – I, I get that that, that there's some repeat teams, but that's what you want, John, right? These these teams found four core guys and drafted them and developed them and put them together with the right coach, and they won. That, that, what's wrong with that? And I think at some level, I think we do want some quote-unquote dynasties, although they're not dynasties. I have no problem with it because of what you mentioned, John. It's the other teams. Like you can get to the promise and you can get to the, to the cup final if, if you do it the right way and teams have gotten there, like Nashville got there. So um, I, I, look, if people want to criticize the league and it's not perfect, but when you look at the NBA final and you look at this final now, there's no comparison. Yeah, DB, I think you do have parity though. When I, when I see that 22 teams have made it to the Stanley cup final in that time period in total in a league that only had 31 teams, uh, and not even 31 for most of that because Vegas and, and, and Seattle are relatively new. But you're talking about 22 right. different teams in that time period. And sure, you're going to have some repeat teams in there because the salary mm-hmm. cap favors those that know how to put a puzzle together. Whether it's right. drafting, whether it's signing the right free agents, whether it's making shrewd trades, the salary cap favors those, favors those teams that can put the puzzle together. And that sure. pretty much has been the, the Pittsburgh Penguin model for a long time, right? Make sure that you have the right core tinker at the margins and you, sh- you still would hopefully be uh, uh, competitive for a Stanley cup run. And like Tampa Bay, you get guys like Corey Perry and Zach Bogosian want to come in and play for a million dollars a year. Cause they want to win another cup. It's a tax-free state. It's a nice place to live. The, well, I'm not sure if the weather's great. Cause it's 95 degrees here with 90% <laughs> humidity. If you like that in June, but if you play for a Stanley cup, you really don't care. <laughs> All right. Let's turn our attention now to numerology, DB. It's been a while since we've done a no, segment wait, like wait, this. Wait, 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 John, wait. Oh, wait. I'm so sorry. Yes. The one Stanley Cup story that I have oh. to tell you. Okay. Oh, give it to us. Okay. Before we go to numerology. So 
every now that we're all back together and the media is together and we're covering the games legit for the Stanley Cup final, there's a time honored tradition of uh, the game winning goal pool. Of course. Okay, so we get there's I don't know there's they, we use the lineup, the skating lineup from the last game and all the, and, and it's very high tech, John. We use two coffee cups. So in one coffee <laughs> cup you put um, you put uh, Colorado. You, no, you, you put no, you put the money. You put twenty dollars in. Oh, and the, the other money. and okay. the other one we write down the names. It's usually Stephen Wino from AP, but uh, Stephen only's covering half the cup. So in in uh, in Florida it was. Uh, uh, Jonathan Bernier from uh, Journal de Montreal. So John takes the line from the other night uh, from game three and writes down each individual name and you pick out a, a name and you put your $20 in. So I turn for game four in Tampa. I pick Nicholas Obey Kubel. Okay. <laughs> I'm like, okay, well, um, they go to, there's a morning skate and Kadri might play. And so John comes over to me and says, by the way, if Obey gets Obey Kubel gets sc- scratched, you get Kadri. Oh, come game, on. <laughs> game four starts. It's in overtime. The puck goes in, and like nobody knows if the goal score. The puck goes in, and I'm like, is it a goal? I'm like, oh, yeah, it is. I'm like, wait a minute. Kadri scored. Come on. $740. Nice. Sold. Nice. In a cup. Right. And John, here's the thing. So we're going downstairs to do our pre our post game videos and stuff like that. And I'm getting in my bag and I got two bags, got the radio stuff. I got my laptop. I look in my bag. I go, Oh, I left the coffee cup sealed on the, on the oh, desk geez. in the press box. I ran back as, you know, the maintenance people could have picked it up and, sure, and sure. put it in the bag. And now I'm $740. Richard. So that's it. So, so that's, I didn't, I, I won the game winning goal pool without picking the guy. That is fantastic. Only me. Only you would do oh. something like that. That's rather absurd. Well, congratulations! I look forward to a nice John, meal. You should when see you... me in the press box. Oh yeah, you, you definitely. See, I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, and TFP. They must hate TFP because Earth won like game two. Oh jeez. Um, yeah. So, but yeah, that was that was an all timer. So that's real. What what an odd goal too. The way that it got stuck up at the top of the back of the net there. I, it was weird, DB. I had to rewind it like three times. Just to say, where is the goal? How did it go in? What it's, happened? Once you see it, then you see it. But it, but it takes never a while gets to see stuck it. that way, John. That's no, the thing. it was bizarre. It was kind of like 2010 with uh, Kane with Chicago. Yeah. Goal. yeah, exactly. So. Wasn't that wild when when Kane scored? Like half the people are standing around wondering what's going on, and half he the team knew. is celebrating. And you're like, what what's going on here? It was yeah, very very much was reminiscent of that uh, that particular moment. All right. Well, DB, that's a fantastic moment. You count your money here for a second. Uh, count those dollars while I run through numerology. We have Jeff Chikrin coming on the program. He's going to join us here in the second period. He wore number six in Los Angeles. There were uh, have been uh, about 18 different players, I believe, that have worn number six in Los Angeles. Uh, some of them you might remember. Dean Kennedy wore it. He wore it from 1983 to 1989. Ken Hammond wore it. Todd Ellick wore it uh, for a very, very brief period of time back in uh, 90-91. Matter of fact, right before Jeff Chikrin uh, first wore that number. And then Doug Huda wore the number. Uh, Huda, he yes. was actually involved. Yes, Doug Huda. <laughs> uh, he was involved in a trade at one point, I believe, that had Jeff Chikrin in it. Sean O'Donnell, I think you might have heard of him before, mm-hmm. DB. Uh, he wore the number from 1995 to 2010. One of the more memorable, I would certainly say, number sixes in Sean O'Donnell. Uh, Lilia, he wore that mm-hmm. number after. And by the way, Lilia, I believe, did some, uh, he was a coach over in Sweden. I want to say Helga Granz. I could be wrong. It might be uh, Kim Noisenen. I'd have to go back and take a look. But he was a coach in Europe the last couple of years uh, with one of the Kings prospects. 
Here's a name that only the most diehard LA Kings fans will probably remember. Maxim Kuznetsov. He was here from 2003 to 2004. Very, very brief period of time. Joe Corvo came after him. Uh, Jamie Heward, another name that only the most diehard Kings fans will remember. Brad Stewart. You talk about Dean Lombardi and his contract signings. Uh, Brad Stewart was a, a Lombardi favorite, and he was here for a brief period of time. And then, DB, there's this guy. Uh, he's now with the Toronto Maple Leafs and fans are bored on social media and they are really <laughs> stirring the pot, especially up in Toronto saying that this guy might be coming back to Los Angeles. We love the player DB. So I hate to throw yeah. cold water on it, but, uh, I don't see Jake Muzzin coming back to Los Angeles this summer. <laughs> Although that's, I love when people tweet me and they're like, can you respond to this rumor guys? It's not a rumor. If just some random fans are tweeting about it and trying to will it into reality, that doesn't make it a hot take or a rumor. Right. That's just some uh, somebody's opinion. But no, uh, uh, Jake Muzzin wore that number, of course, from 2011 to 2019. I love Jake. I will always remember the fact that uh, he has a Twitter handle, DB, and he admits <laughs> to having a Twitter handle, but he has not tweeted still Ever. to this day. So he, he's he's a, a uh, an admitted lurker on Twitter. <laughs> I thought, though, I did think, DB, back to Arizona, a matter of fact, I did think we were on the cusp of getting him to tweet one night. Right. He scored his first goal, a big goal in Arizona. I was talking to him after the game that night, and I thought I had him ready to do it. But no, <laughs> Muzz was he, he wanted to think about it. And once once the emotion, the heat right. of the moment cooled off, he was not going to tweet. So he still has not <laughs> tweeted. Joachim uh, Ryan wore that number. I know you were a big Joachim Ryan huge, guy. Huge uh, guy. DB. Yeah, oh, <laughs> tremendous. And then most recently, the last guy to wear the number, the most recent player, of course, being Oli Mata. And DB, he most likely will not be back in Los Angeles. So here's what I'm telling you. The number is available on the other side of the break. We'll talk to Jeff Chikrin. We'll see if we can talk him out of retirement. And maybe we'll even talk about Jacob Chikrin, his son of the Arizona Coyotes. We'll be back after the break. I never meant to call you Welcome back, Kings of the Podcast, second period here. And we're joined by a very special guest today. Uh, he is a former member of the LA Kings. He actually was a member of the Kings organization on two separate occasions. We'll get into that and a lot more. Uh, our guest today is Jeff Chikrin. Jeff, welcome to the program. John, thanks very much for having me. Look, uh, we're going to go all over the board today. We're going we're gonna to talk about your career, your family. We're going to talk about lake life, all sorts of stuff. But I want to get the nickname thing right out of the way up front. I know some people call you Jay. Some people call you Chick. Those are like standard nicknames. I, I want to know, like, what's a really good nickname? One that most people don't know, though, that maybe uh, only your closest friends call you. <laughs> well, I, I must say uh, my buddy Jeff Brown there in St. Louis, how he his his kids have always called me Chicky Baby, but okay. uh, you know Chick Chick sort of the uh, the main calling card. My problem is uh, my dad's from a big Ukrainian family from Saskatchewan, so I have thirty five first cousins. So there's a lot of chicks out there. 
<laughs> definitely, <laughs> definitely for sure. It's funny you mentioned your father because there are so many tie-ins, and I think we're going to touch on throughout the conversation here today. If I if I get to my full list of questions, but the you know sure. this time is yours, so I want to hear some good stories. But I wanted to actually talk about your dad because it's topical, like you mentioned, being Ukrainian. Father's Day just took place recently. Um, we'll get to you being a father later, but how about talk about your father, though, and just some of the early struggles and the things that you remember uh, uh, growing up and, and your father as a man. Oh, yeah, he's terrific. So, so my grandparents came to Canada over 100 years ago. I think my, my, my grandfather, he uh, came through Montreal, um, I think around 1911, actually lied about his age and got on a boat in Crimea and uh, landed in Montreal. And as the rumor goes, you know, he took the train from Montreal as, a, as an 18-year-old man, landed in Regina, Saskatchewan, and then walked 150 miles sort of northeast. Apparently, he, my dad says he bought a 100-pound bag of flour and made the walk from Regina to, uh, to Goodies, Saskatchewan. I don't know how he even found the place. Um, and then his uncle apparently had some land he was promised him, which he never actually got. But he went up there and... <laughs> And made a living and, you know, found, found my grandmother and, and they, uh, you know, they, they farmed it during the depression and somehow raised 12 kids. But, you know, when, when I, when I sort of see what's going on in Ukraine today, the lore seems much more realistic when you, when you see the, uh, the battle sort of going on in real time today. Yeah, for um, sure. Yeah. But my dad, he left Saskatchewan, uh, to go to university, he went to the University of Ottawa. Uh, he had a brother, his older brother, one of his older brothers was living in Ottawa, and uh, he got into Ottawa, he studied engineering, and, and ended up uh, working for Nortel, uh, Bell Northern Telecom at the time, I guess, and uh, was there for 39 years, met my mom in Ottawa, um, and uh, that's, we were, my older sister and I were born in Montreal, he was there for two years, and then, but uh, we, we uh, were raised in Ottawa, actually, Nepean, Ontario, which is sort of a, it was a suburb of Ottawa. Now it's uh, one, one municipality, but, uh, yeah, my dad was terrific. You know, he, he never got a chance to play professional hockey. He played a lot of hockey. He, um, you know, my son, Jake, when I, we, we still played with my dad, uh, up until a year ago. Wow. Um, and, uh, yeah, we get together in the summer when Jacob was home and, and uh, a bunch of hackers here outside of Ernfryer, Ontario. And, and uh, we get out there for a skate and have a beer and a chicken wing after. And it's really been a life highlight. Um, my dad decided not to skate. He just turned 84 as of December. Although uh, wow. Jacob just got home on Wednesday night. So we're hoping. We actually ran to the ice tomorrow morning. We're hoping we convince dad to come out and have a little skate with us. <laughs> we'll see. That'll be a recruitment call later this afternoon. Chicky baby, you're, you're stealing all, all my headlines of what I wanted to talk about, all the tie-ins, Ottawa, Montreal. You, you only skipped one other tie-in there, which is that I think it's uh, pretty fascinating. You're born in Montreal, grew up in Ottawa, but you were a Leafs fan, so you're, co you're covering really all of, all of that side of Canada. But the Montreal tie-in to me is pretty interesting because uh, the draft is coming up and it's going to be in Montreal, or Montreal, as they tell me I'm supposed to pronounce it. And <laughs> when, you were, um, when you were drafted, the draft was actually held in Montreal. So, you know, kind of an interesting full circle thing there from your draft all the way forward to this year's draft. You've experienced it from both sides. I'm sure you've been asked this question many times about going through it as a player and then going through it as a father when, when Jacob was drafted. But why don't we start with you being drafted? Because one of the things that I always laugh about 
uh, when talking to players that were drafted prior to kind of the internet exploding and the draft becoming a thing is the funny stories about like, yeah, I wasn't even there. I was out, you know, farming the land or I was doing whatever. And I didn't know I was drafted for two weeks. I think your story is a little bit different. You were actually there from what I understand, right? Yeah, I was. And it was 1984 was the first year that actually televised the draft. And, uh, it was, you know, it, it went Mario Lemieux, number one, Kirk Muller, two, I think Eddie Olchek, three, IF Brady, four. But um, Mario was intent on not showing up in Pittsburgh. So he, he, I remember he sort of stood up, sort of waved and kissed to the crowd and then sat back down again and sort of left the uh, the Penguins uh, brass hanging down at the table. So it's really kind of ironic that, you know, Mario is now Mr. Mr. Pittsburgh and he's done amazing things for that franchise. Yeah, and I was lucky enough to go play for them for a little while and uh, and see it firsthand. But um, yeah, you, you know, uh, I remember I was sitting in the stand. We actually met uh, my agent Larry Kelly at the time uh, across the street, a bunch of his clients, and and I was sitting with Ray Shepard uh, in the stands, and I had no idea where I was going to go. Like there was no, you know, I. When my son's drafted, we drove from Boca up to Tampa to see uh, Steven Eiserman, who was another Nepean boy. We grew up together. He wanted to meet Jake, so we went up for a playoff game and went down to Steve's office after, and we sat there for an hour and to shoot in the breeze, and, and it was really fun to catch up. But he said, Chick, like, it's completely different than when you were drafted. They, like, you know, the media, you know, they were probably pretty tough on my son because he sort of had a shoulder injury going his draft and things didn't go as well as he wanted to during his draft year. But you know, the, 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 the press and, and the, uh, the scrutiny that the players can actually go under and it's fine. And we're, uh, you know, I, I work in the media now, so I get it. But, um, but it was, it was interesting sort of the process when I was drafted, I think I met one fella from Boston, um, and, and my coach introduced me to him because I went to the OHL draft just to sort of see things and support my uh, Kingston Canadians team. Um, but really, that was about the only attention that I had. And, and I'd heard from my that I could go in late first round. I could go as late as the fourth round. So we're sitting there, and uh, first round goes through, second round starts up, and I'm sitting with Ray Shepard. And uh, Ray's convinced he's going to Winnipeg all around the 30th pick in the second round. And I'm like, yeah, you should. You would score 40 goals this year. <laughs> so, and I had, I had no expectation. And, and uh, so all of a sudden, the 36th, no, the 36th pick comes, yeah, and the Quebec Nordiques announced, uh, they announced, I mentioned earlier, Jeff Brown. So Brownie and I, we grew up together in the field. And so Jeff's parents, I'm probably midway up the up the uh, the Montreal Forum. I go rushing down to see Brownie's parents, and I just to shake their hand. Congratulations! So happy for you and Jeff, and see Brownie walking down to the table and put on the uh, Nordique, and I go running back up to uh, my seat beside Ray, and, and all of a sudden, Philadelphia Flyers are up, and they they call timeout. They call timeout again, and then uh, all of a sudden they announce from Kings and Canadians, uh, Jeff Chickwood. So I'm like, wow, I can't believe it. But one pick after I go, I go walking down and Mr. Brown's the first one to stop and congratulate me because I had to walk past him. So that was kind of a, a fun story I was able to share with, share with the Browns, but uh, really had no expectations. And I get down to the table and first guy to see me is Bobby Clark. I'm looking at Bobby Clark and I like a picture of the 70s, that toothless smile, beating up my Maple Leafs. You know, pitchfork and Boreas Salming, and, and I'm like, God, I hated you. 
now you're my boss. <laughs> <laughs> and I hated the Flyers, the biggest goons in hockey. And I ended up leaving the penalty minutes three years in a row, as, as, as you know, later on in, in my career. But uh, that was a, it was a great place to be drafted, a great place to learn the game. And the challenge, it was tough, tough club to, to go to because you Mike Keenan coaching at the time and really played, uh, you know, Mark Howe and, and Brad McCrimmon. Uh, then there was uh, Brad Marsh and Doug Cross and later Shell Samus. And those guys played 50 minutes a night. So, you know, everybody else sort of got a little bit of mop-up duty. So it was tough for a young guy to really sort of break in. But I uh, ended up having a couple really good seasons with the Hershey Bears and, and really learned to be a pro. And, and when I when I finally got the NHL, I was definitely ready to play. Now, did you happen to, when you were in Hershey at all, uh, did you happen to cross paths with Mike Stuthers? Oh, yeah, Stutzy, absolutely. I, I had dinner with Stutzy uh, in Florida about uh, three months ago. Well, maybe whenever Anaheim was last in there. So Stutzy, was, he was great. He uh, actually a really good story. Uh, he was, I think Mike's five years older than me, but he, I definitely looked at Mike like a big, like a big brother, and, and he gave all us young guys. And you know him well, John Stevens, oh, yeah. uh, Greg Smith. So, you know, we all broke in together. We're all 1966 birth and defensemen, and Stutzy, he made sure we all towed the line. And I remember we played one game in New in Newmarket. You have to excuse my language here a little bit, but I was awful. I mean, I was awful. And Stutzy's my roommate. We get back to the hotel. We play the Newmarket Saints, at least for him. We get back to the hotel, and I'm just a, a, a bag, of, bag of bricks right now. And I'm, I'm trying to, you know, get in my head what happened. Stutzy, you know, Stutzy says, yeah, chick. You really suck donkey shit tonight. <laughs> <laughs> and, and we we both started laughing. It was just, it was the perfect thing to say to me at the time. And uh, so there's no sur- no surprise that uh, that he's gone on to have a really great career uh, in the coaching ranks. And, and uh, yeah, really happy for Stutzy. Well, he's one of my three favorite people in hockey. We actually just had him on the podcast uh, a week or two back, and obviously got yeah. to know him during his time in the AHL when he was coaching the, uh, the LA Kings affiliate, the Ontario reign. Of course, now he, like you said, he's an assistant coach with the Anaheim ducks. Uh, one, one final question on Stutz then, since you guys were roommates. Now, one of the things about him today that wouldn't be relevant back then is his love for Crocs, those terrible shoes. Uh, I don't think they had Crocs back then. Um, but one of the other things though, is that Stutz is not a hugger. So have you ever seen him hug somebody? I haven't that big bear. He might mother somebody. If, if he, he might. Did. And I'm, I'm laughing because that's just a bad Ontario cottager, right? And I'm looking down at my feet right now, and I have a pair of red Crocs. Oh, that no. my family busts my chops on all the time. Dad, you have to get rid of those. You look like Papa Smurf. Okay, well, I instantly love your family, and I'm going to have to tell Stutz yeah. that uh, there's yeah. another, there's yeah. one, at least one more person walking this earth that loves Crocs. I don't understand either yeah. of you, but we can uh, we can move yeah. on. You talk about being with the Flyers there, and of course, uh, of course, you had to be traded to Los Angeles at some point because the two teams are married. It's like uh, I don't know if the Flyers right, are, right. I don't know if they're Kings East or if the if the Kings are Flyers West, but those two teams um, from the very beginning of time in 1967 playing their first game together, have been linked nonstop, and the links are, are rather ridiculous. But uh, May 30th, 1991, you get traded to Los Angeles. You came with Yari Curry. You were the bigger piece in the deal. I think Curry was throwing from, from, <laughs> from, 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 from what I remember. At least that, that's my memory. I was just a young guy at the time. Uh, 
Gretz didn't tell you that? No, yeah, no, <laughs> no. I think uh, Gretzky orchestrated a few things when he was here, and getting Yari Curry to the LA Kings was one of them. Um, there's there's a question for you, I guess. Did did Gretz even know who you were, or did you show up and have to introduce yourself as like, yeah, hey, yeah. I'm the guy who came with Yari? Right, right. I, I think he did. He told me. He told me I, I cross check him so hard in the back one time. He had to get me, <laughs> had to get me to LA. <laughs> but. It was it was interesting. We, we went out to LA uh, uh, a few years ago. We actually brought the kids while well, they were in their early teens, and uh, we went to a game. Uh, uh, Lucky set us up at the uh, at Staples for for dinner and, and the game. And uh, Bruce McNall was in the uh, was in the lounge having dinner. Yeah. And, uh, my I think my fourteen year old daughter was there, and um, and uh, he called Taylor over, and he says. Uh, Taylor, he says, you know, when I when I was here, he says Wayne Gretzky was my was you know we had Rogi Vash obviously, but Wayne was my my GM without the title. And sure. he said, I said to Wayne, I said, Wayne, how do we get better here? How do we win the championship? Well, you got to get a guy like Jeff Chickram from the Flyers. And he told my daughter this. Wow. And and he said, so I called I called Ed Snyder. I said, Ed, how do we get how do we get Je- Jeff Chickram here? And and uh, we were able to able to make a trade and. Uh, whether it was true or not, it was really nice of Bruce to think of my daughter like that and uh, and tell her that story. I I, I always appreciated it, uh, you know. Uh, and and really, a lot of things how Bruce treated us and and, and uh, you know we were probably the first team to have a plane in in a number of years and uh, it was really great experience playing for the Kings. Yeah, for sure. Now. During that 91-92 season as well, you spent some time with the Phoenix Roadrunners. You, you cleared waivers. You ended up in Phoenix. Uh, how ironic is that with Jacob being there now? The Roadrunners, I mean, they were quite the team yeah. back in the day, uh, but the, the, the IHL is a little bit different than the AHL and even much different than the NHL now there in Phoenix. just uh, I mean, I know you were there for only a brief time, um, two different stops, but still, any, any, any memories of being there in Phoenix and playing for the Roadrunners? Oh yeah. So now when I go out there to visit my son, like, you know, it's really interesting. Cause that, cause I tell him like, you know, first of all, I used to tell him that, you know, playing for the LA Kings is, he heard this his whole life. I think it's the greatest place to play in the national hockey league for a number of reasons outside of the California taxes. Um, but, uh, but yeah, Phoenix, it was really, uh, you know, I tell him like when I was here, you were here, you were, you were, you were working hard, trying to get yourself out of here. You know, and I did have two stints. One was a conditioning stint because I had, had a broken wrist. And the other one, I, I cleared waivers because I wasn't playing well. Mm-hmm. And so it was a good kick in the ass. But, um, but yeah, the, 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 um, you know, I, I go there now and, and it's like, to me, this should be like an ultimate place of destination for players, you know, and, and I, I think once, you know, all everything gets sort of straightened out and they get their new arena, but, you know, you're three, four years down the road. I think you know it's it's going to be a true destination because of you know the climate and and so many things are spectacular. But um, w- when I was there, I remember uh, I wasn't married yet, and and my mom came out, and uh, sort of my last memory with her, um, she passed away shortly after. But you know, we're we're driving around <laughs> trying to just find a restaurant or a cowboy boot store. You know, there's no GPS. There was no Google Maps. That's true. And so we, we were both kind of used to just sort of flying by the seat of our pants. Um, but, uh, yeah, it was a different time. Ralph Backstrom was coaching there, and uh, Ralph had a great career. He was um, – but, you know, it was just – so when I got to Phoenix, I'd already played two years in the American Hockey League in, 
in Hershey, and then I spent three years in Philly. So I, I was an NHL regular. So, so to go back down, clear waivers at age 27, it wasn't the time in my life that, you know, I really had to give my head a shake and, and uh, make an adjustment to get my head back in gear. Cause you know, when you go down, um, first of all, you want to be a good, you know, I wasn't the first one to experience that. I had some great people like Kevin McCarthy who had been captain in Vancouver a couple of years before, and then he's down in Hershey and some really good people sort of as, uh, people that I would consider, uh, mentors and, uh, you know, really guys that showed me the way in, in pro hockey, whether it was tough love or, or whatever it was. So I realized I had to be a good person for them, but I also had to work hard because I wanted to get back up the national hockey league. So, um, so I probably didn't enjoy Phoenix as much as I should have. I didn't sort of get involved in the culture of the town. I didn't, you know, explore old town Scottsdale like I, you know, like I do now when, when I go to visit my son and everything. But uh, it, it definitely was a different time. Um, but it is ironic how now my sons are at the place you want to be and that when uh, when I was there was a place you want to work hard to get out of. <laughs> it's, it is definitely different, uh, but you're right, though. You're on the right track with Scottsdale. Uh, what a beautiful area and what a, what a fun place to hang out. No doubt about that. Now, second stint, though, uh, because in between those two stints with the LA Kings, you, you're in Pittsburgh, but that was kind of a weird deal because it was a three-team trade, and I'm just curious, at any point when that trade was going down, did you think that you were going to end up back in Philly? Were you surprised that you ended up in Pittsburgh? Yeah. I had no idea. I mean, I, I wasn't expecting a trade. I know I had just I had just finished a contract with Rogie and uh, uh, like I think two weeks prior to. So the fact that, well, I mean, I guess we should have had the deal done at the start of the season. Um, it was my option year and normally you sort of get those things out of the way, but it sort of dragged on and I just signed it two years, uh, two weeks earlier. Um, so the fact that I, that I was traded really came as a shock. I wasn't expecting it at all, quite frankly. So, but I had been a healthy scratch uh, for the first time in my career, probably a week prior. And uh, uh, but then I went. Out. I remember having a really good fight. Uh, I think it was Mike Peluso in Chicago in the Forum, and I'm like, oh, so you know, getting my feet going here. You know, things are things are going to work out well. And then then you get the trade, and I'm like. Pittsburgh. I hate Pittsburgh, man. That's a Patrick <laughs> division rival. Like, like, and, and so, so I leave Edmonton. And, well, it was kind of funny, you know, because Rogi Vashaw, again, one of the nicest people I've probably ever met in hockey. I remember getting the, the phone call at like seven in the morning in Edmonton. And, uh, I woke my roommate, I think Johnny McIntyre is my roommate, but, uh, and, and Rogi. Number goes, 44. Uh, Jeff, we, yeah, exactly. Uh, Jeff, we have, we have made a trade and you're going to, uh, Pittsburgh. And then I could tell he's reading his notes. I think <laughs> he said, I think, <laughs> oh yeah. Brian Benning's going to Philly. You're going to Pittsburgh. Yeah, I think. And I'm like, oh my God, I laughed so hard. And then the reality set in that, you know, I got a call from Craig Patrick shortly after. And it's like, you know, we're bringing you here to expect to win the Stanley Cup. And that's when you get excited, right? I mean, I thought I was in LA because, you know, Gretz is here. We're going to win a Stanley Cup. Now you're going to Pittsburgh. They won it the year before. Wow, we have a real good chance to win the Stanley Cup. So, you know, fly to Pittsburgh. First guy I see going into Igloo is, um, it was Mario coming out the door because practice. And, and then Jay, um, Jay Caulfield comes out. Wow, I fought Jay every game. 
now he's on my team. Like this was actually really nice. <laughs> but uh, you know, it's sort of, but it's it's sort of ironic the way hockey works, right? You realize they're just we're just doing our jobs. Just really good people, and, and uh, the guy you're knuckling it with every night is now your teammate, one of your best friends. So, well, go back. Cool the way those things work out. And go back and look at those trades. I mean, you talk about you come into Los Angeles with Yari Curry. Some of the names involved in that three-team trade we just mentioned yeah. there, you know, talk about Rick Tockett, Mark Recchi. Uh, I mean, you mentioned Brian Benning, but Paul Coffey as well. I mean, there's some big names, including Jeff Chikrin, that's moving around in these in these two deals. It's pretty exciting. Uh, it really is. It, you know, pretty cool to be, in, it, 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 you know, involved with those guys and having a chance to play with those world-class players, right? I mean, everybody asks me all the time, what's, What's Mario and Wayne like? Well, I'm just lucky to, you know, I, I happen to play with them both in a calendar year. I mean, not many people get to say that. So, yeah. And, uh, yeah. And again, when I went to Philly all, or to Pittsburgh, I'm sorry, all those, you know, Reggett, Shell Samuelson, Tockett, they all, they all met me in Pittsburgh. So it's like I had, wow, three guys who I played with for four years. Pretty happy to have them uh, be reunited with those guys. So yeah, it's funny the way hockey works. Eh? And it, it, you know, and, and until you're moved that first time, you know, you don't, it, it's, it's an emotional experience, you know, leaving that club that you're drafted by and, and, um, going to a, going to a new location. But, uh, I've got, I've got kind of a great story about the Kings. We, um, I, I just made the LA, uh, the flyers and, uh, we traded, uh, we traded for Jay Wells mm. and, uh, uh, they sent Doug Crossman to LA and, and, and Gordon Murphy and I, we just made, made the flyers and we took Jay out for lunch and the season hadn't started yet. And, he, and I said, and I'm sort of looking at him cause you know, one, one warm climate. I, I, I grew up in Ottawa. I hadn't even been to Florida yet at that point in my life. So I didn't know what a palm tree looked like. And I said to him <laughs> like, Jay, you know, it's funny that I live in Florida. And I said, Jay, like how, how do you guys play in LA? Like, and he looks at me like as if, okay, dumb kid he said to me he said uh you know what there you love it so much you work that much harder to stay there and this is the <laughs> what i'm going to tell you now is the part i sort of kept with me and i tell my son and the boys i coached growing up he said in the inside every arena it's 200 by 85 doesn't matter if you're in toronto ottawa vancouver or el segundo california the dimensions inside are all the same yeah. So hockey, hockey doesn't change once you get inside the building. Doesn't matter where your geographic location is. So I remember telling my boys that we you know when I was coaching the Florida Junior Panthers or the Everblades or my son later off and playing minor hockey in Detroit. You know, I'd tell the boys the same thing. Like, uh, uh, you know, inside the arena is the same. That doesn't matter what these guys from Toronto are yelling at you when you're playing against them. Um, you know, whether you have palm trees on your jersey and I, or not, you, you have to win the 200 by 85. And I thought it was really good advice coming from Jay. Yeah, no, it is. And uh, hey, look, we scheduled this in the morning because we know you're a big hot tub guy. And I knew that if I scheduled it too late in the day, you'd be in the hot tub. So this is an early morning interview. I appreciate your I appreciate time. It. I want to get some more stories out of you real quick, and then we'll let you run and go go do some chores or whatnot around the cottage before hot tub time comes later tonight. Uh, I, I want you just teed me up perfectly with a couple things there. But before we do, I have to first ask though: when you came back to LA, uh, were you part of the Black Aces there in the in the '93 finals with the Kings? Yeah, yeah, I didn't get much playing time. I, I that was actually the year I pl- I cleared waivers. Okay. Uh, when was down in uh, down in uh, Phoenix. Yep. And then I I got uh, I had a an MCL sprain sort of in March, so it kind of kind of ended my season. So I I wasn't I wasn't around. I, I 
was back in El Segundo when I was going to the home games, and, and but I kind of missed much of that run. I was kind of following it on TV like everybody else. Yeah, I wasn't sure if you had a chance to, to be part of the Black Aces back then. You know, things like that weren't as... Uh, the information wasn't as readily available as it would be today. Um, yeah. So let's pivot back to what you were saying there and, um, you know, being traded and all that sort of stuff. So I'm curious, as a hockey dad, obviously you don't have really inside information, so we're not going to break any news here today about what the future is for Jacob and all of that. But you, you've been there and done that. So you, you've been there, done that on the draft. He went in the first round, but you were able to, you know give him your perspective as, as a former player and saying, hey, when you get drafted, this is what happens, and this was my experience, even though his experience is different. Uh, he's going through a rebuild there now in Arizona. And of course, you know the rumors are out there about whether he stays or whether he goes. And I'm just curious, how do you as a, as a father wear both hats of like, hey, let me give you a little bit of experience? Because you just said something really interesting, and I remember Mike Richards saying the same thing when he came to Los Angeles, that that first time that you're traded – it's jarring, and you have no idea what to expect. Some players don't have anybody they can lean into. He has you. If he was to leave Arizona, have you helped him paint a picture of, hey, this is what it's going to look like, and this is what to experience, and, and those sorts of things? Or are you waiting until if that happens at that point that then you'll have that conversation? Yeah, I think it's really interesting that, um, you know, I think one of the things about uh, Jacob, he's really good at his short-term memory is really good. Um, so, you know, whether you're on a shift or not and, and, you know, let's say you cough that puck up, he's really good at letting that go. And, and a lot of times the next shift is, is his best one, but he's also really good at, um, yeah, I mean, six years in now. So he's only 24, but he's, he's a really seasoned kid now. And, uh, he's, he's really good at not worrying about things he can't control. And I think that's so important mm-hmm. when you're dealing with, you know, decisions of management or, 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 you know, you know, you know, my father-in-law, who had no experience in hockey, but he was a real entrepreneurial spirit, and he, he used to tell me, <laughs> and I'd laugh, it didn't make sense at the time, he said, Chicky, uh, business plans change within the hour. So, <laughs> you right. know, as, as, as a player, right, you know, you never know what phone calls the GM's getting or making. So you really have to be flexible and, and understand that, you know what, this is a great spot to be in today. Tomorrow, if something happens, you know, I'll adjust, you know, and usually when you, when you're traded, you have such great support, like whether you have a home and you want to rent it or you want to sell it, they're there to help you. If you got to move all the furniture, the new team's there to help, you know, when you're in the National Hockey League. So I think those are things I've tried to, you know, Jacob, I mean, he just arrived Wednesday night and I looked at him like, God, you look like you're so fit. Like it's crazy, you know? And, and so like, he does everything off the ice to prepare to play. So he takes that worry out of his, out of his regiment. So mm-hmm. if something were to happen in the next couple of weeks or, or whenever, you know, mm-hmm. or, or if he's in Arizona for the next, you know, three years through his contract, he's ready for that because he does the work off the ice. Um, and on the ice, he's really able to focus, uh, you know, when he gets, when he gets to the rink. But I think he's really good at not worrying about things that he can't control. So, I, I know he. I know he has the respect of Bill Armstrong and and the group there. And I think, you know, if something were to happen, they're they're going to do what's best for the organization and Jacob. And, and uh, so we'll see where it leads. But I think he's doing a really good job of not focusing on it, getting away. I mean, he's up at Lake. He's going to put his fishing boat in the water today and get a little workout in. So he he'll be happy, and it's a good distraction. 
sort of what's going on now, but he doesn't look like he's dwelling on it very much at all. So I'm, I'm happy to report that. <laughs> so I'll be careful in how I ask this question and I'm not asking yeah. it from a, uh, I'm not asking from any other perspective than let's just daydream a little bit here together. Chikrin six on an LA Kings Jersey. The other day when I sent you the graphic that we're going to use for the podcast, you got all excited. You loved it. Um, <laughs> I mean, those are my words. You can you know disagree if you'd like, but you seemed pretty excited by it. Have you, have you thought though, for just a moment, whether it's this summer or 10 years from now, because he has a long career in front of him. Have you ever thought what it would be like to see Chikrin six skating on the ice in Los Angeles, would it mean something to you? Or would you hope that he would take a different number? Or just do you have any connection to Chikrin 6 in an L.A. Kings jersey? That's pretty cool. I mean, you know what? We had we had our dad's trip to L.A. Oh, three years ago, I think. And I was pretty excited to be there. And I must admit, man, he's had some, some really good games in Staples. And uh, I, know, I know he gets a kick out of Drew. <laughs> don't we all <laughs> I, think, I, think they, I think they have a lot of good conversations when they're out there so but yeah i think yeah you know listen i think uh i think he's a good fit on any roster because i think he's a you know he's a real modern day defenseman he can you know he skates so well and he handles the puck and he loves to shoot it so i think that's uh and he defends really well now and and i'm, I'm really proud of him just, you know really working on all around game so i think he'd be a really good fit um you know on any of the 32 teams. So, uh, but certainly putting that, that black and silver, it's such a sharp looking uniform, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so if he was in yeah. LA, you're saying six Chikrin, you'd be okay with that. He doesn't, you're not laying, you're not laying claim to Chikrin six forever. Oh, no, no. Well, he's wearing six now, right? Yeah. So. <laughs> and six is available in LA, just so you know. Just wanted to put that oh, out there. It okay. It's good, available. Good. Um, but, he, right. okay, here comes the hardest question. I only have a couple left, and here's the hardest question of the interview. I really need to know this. You were a right-handed stay-at-home. I'm going to call you a rugged defenseman. Yeah. He's the yeah. exact opposite. He's a lefty. Right. He's more offensive-minded. Uh, what, what happened? Did you tell him, hey, man, don't be like me? Or was yeah. it one of those things where a kid rebelled and he wanted to be the opposite <laughs> of his old man? Well, listen, I, I knew how hard it was how I played, and I always – so admired the skill side of it. And I, and I look at the Hall of Famers I played with. Blakey, Larry Robinson, Mark Howe, um, Larry Murphy, Paul Coffey. And I just saw them with the puck on their stick all night long. And that's all I stressed when the kids were little. I had parents talk, well, we got to teach them body check. No, stop <laughs> it. We're, we're, I'm going to teach your kids to use four edges, have their head up, and and love the puck like you know so in florida we had jay bowmeister when my son and the boys were little i had riley stillman on that team as well he's in chicago now and and i used to tell him look like bowie he looks like a skates better than any defenseman and he looks like a giraffe when he has the puck his head is up and on the swivel so i tell these that to the kids all the time anyway you know I, we, at one point too we were doing a summer tournament in chicago and jacob and i we had uh dinner with Al McInnes and his son, Ryan. And uh, Al had just started working for the Blues again, and he said, you know what's lacking in our league? I said, what? The defenseman can play with a puck in the middle of the ice. Coming from Al, and, and boy, the light bulb went off. And from that point on, I'd have practices, John, where all we would do was skate backwards and handle pucks. Wow. Because I thought it was so important to, to you know, be able to use all four edges and, and transition and have your head up and doing it and you know, you can dodge the forecheck. Whether you're playing forward or not, I think it's so important. 
So, I mean, I had the, the one year in Florida, it was kids were five and uh, we had eight kids from our in-house team in, in Coral Springs and uh, three of them are in the NHL today, Andrew Peak in Columbus and uh, Brandon Duhame in Minnesota and, and my son. And uh, I thought that was, I think that's quite a stat uh, start, starting in Florida. Yeah. Well, look, uh, here's what's going to happen. When, if, if he gets traded to Los Angeles and it ends up in LA at some point, we're going to have to have you back on again. You'll give us the full scouting report on Jacob. But if not, we're also going to book you for a second show because we're going to do one full hour on Stutz. We just want Stutz stories. That's, that's all we want to do. But I'm going to leave you with Love this it. one. Uh, what is it like? You're doing work with Bally Sports now, for those that don't know. You do pregame, postgame. I think you do some intermission stuff as well there for the Florida Panthers, um, who obviously you know have, have become a force here uh, in the NHL over the last couple of seasons and, and a bright future in, in front of them. But you had the opportunity, or you've had the opportunity to broadcast games with when Jacob's on the ice. What's that like having to be a professional and having you know to call things for the Florida Panthers, or or not call the game, but you know, uh, with the Florida Panthers slant, if you will, you know, you're entertaining their fans, but yet at the same time, you're there watching and your son's playing against your team, if you will. What's that like as a father? Yeah, that's where you be, you go from being an amateur amateur uh, analyst to a professional, right? Because you really <laughs> have to buckle down and focus. And don't be too harsh because mom's going to be waiting for you when you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, what did you say? <laughs> yes, <laughs> balancing yeah, the yeah. balancing the needs of your your uh, boss and balancing the needs of your real boss back home. <laughs> right, hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. You don't want to come across the stupid obsessive father, too, right? So, yeah. All right, Chicky baby, it's been outstanding. I thank you so much for your time. You enjoy cottage life up there. Uh, we didn't even have time to get into the Ottawa and the new arena and all that sort of stuff, but uh, what a fantastic 30 minutes. Really we'll appreciate your time. Again. We'll do it again. Yeah, thanks, John. Have a great day, and uh, I'll get a hold of Stutz, and we'll get some good Jeff Chickren stories, too. Please, please do. Thanks, thanks, John. All right, have a good one. There you go, Jeff Chickren. We'll be back after the break with the third period. Welcome back to the third period of Kings of the Podcast with DB and the Mayor. All right, there you go. Jeff Chickren, DB, fantastic interview. Oh, yeah. And who knew that we were going to get a Mike Stuthers conversation going? I, I have to admit, I did not know he was roommates with Stutz. Um, I immediately started texting Stutz, to which uh, he replied back, Great guy, but he lies through his teeth. <laughs> so, <laughs> I, I think Stutz is already scared Amazing. about the stories that the stories that might have been told on the podcast. Amazing. He was a little bit That's worried, it. but oh, uh, that was great. Great storytelling there. Yeah, I love it, uh, and very interesting. You know, uh, Jeff Chikrin, of course, was was sort of towing the line as to the idea of Jacob being in Los Angeles, but you could see another Chikrin six in a Kings uniform at some point. Um, that's a different program, though, DB. We'll do a whole uh, rumors <laughs> segment a different time. Why don't we wrap today's show up, though, with some uh, L.A. Kings talk that is actually happening. Sure. So let's just sort of set the table. As we talked about in the first period, the draft is, uh, excuse me, the uh, the Stanley Cup will be awarded first. And then mm -hmm. the draft is going to take place next week. And I do uh, just want to continue to remind people the draft has moved this year. It normally mm -hmm. is on Friday night and right. then all day Saturday. And this year, for whatever reason, it's going to be Thursday night, first round. 
And then it's going to be all day Friday, which is July 7th and 8th. So make sure that you mark your calendars, call in sick or uh, follow along with Dennis. You're going to be in Montreal. I'll be there. Yeah, yep. yeah. We'll be up covering there. the draft. Mm-hmm. So we'll get some Kings takes from you uh, as well as uh, some some conference calls. We'll try to talk to some of the players. Mayor's Manor will have its typical uh, draft preview article. So mm-hmm. we'll get into Great. what players might be sitting there at 19. How likely is it that the Kings trade? Pick number 19. Uh, and, you know, there, there could be a trade, DB, uh, that week, right after July 4th. The Kings could yep. be making a move Please. to bolster their roster. Trade the pick. Tra- Please. Yes. Thank you. Trade alert. Trade alert. So there you go. Uh, <laughs> immediately following that, DB, I tweeted this out. The following week, you're going to have development camp here in mm-hmm. Southern California. Los Angeles Kings are going to have their development camp Monday through Friday. The Anaheim Ducks will be having their development camp. So you can see Mason McTavish and all the young prospects of the Ducks down at Great Park. And you can yeah. see a lot of LA Kings players. And I'll put the roster out here in the next couple of days, hopefully uh, players that should be uh, invited and expected to be at development camp. And then DB, a couple weeks after that, I think you're going to have about a week off. And then at the last week of July, you're going to have the development camps that are going to start ramping up for uh, all of the countries as they get ready for the World Juniors, which take, take place in Edmonton. So the evaluation camps for most teams start around July 24th or July 25th, somewhere in that time frame. I mentioned earlier, Team Canada is not going to do an evaluation camp for this World Juniors. Right. Their evaluation camp is going to be actually for next World Juniors, which is going to be taking place in December in Nova Scotia. You're coming to Nova Scotia with us, right, DB? Yeah, sure. I'm coming okay, all right. So well, you, I tell you, I'm not doing. I'm not going to Edmonton again. I've been to Edmonton <laughs> like 19 times in the last all right. month. So, so don't worry. About, I'll cover it, DB. I have you covered. I'll go, I'm going to Edmonton in August. You're, the guy. I don't, You're yeah. always the guy. Come I on, will handle the World Juniors. Uh, so the, the evaluation camp for Team Canada, the one thing that is interesting is that there is a short list of players that Team Canada is looking at as possible replacements should one of the Team Canada members that was part of the team in December not be available in August. And mm-hmm. that could happen. Injuries summer vacations it could happen right. for any number of reasons if that does happen brant clark from what i understand check with some high ranking sources in team canada brant clark is on the short list of potential guys they would look at to put on that team what i'm telling you is there's still a chance db there's a, a greater than one percent chance right. there's still a chance that brant clark uh la king's first round draft pick last year could play in the august world juniors this year but we do know Regardless of whether Clark plays, we know that Casper Simon-Tyville is playing. We know that Helga Granz will be there. Sammy Hellenius, uh, Martin Kromiak. And here's the breaking news, DB. Brock Faber is going to be at Team USA camp. And this is a little bit of a reversal off of the information Mm -hmm. that we heard earlier. And it sounded like Faber had played a lot of hockey last year, played for the University of Minnesota. He played for Team USA at the Olympics. He even went to Canada for the, uh, the World Juniors that ended up being cut short but he mm-hmm. played a lot of hockey last year and it looked like he wasn't going to participate so db i don't know if you know once cooler heads prevailed and the emotions kicked in the thought of wearing the team usa jersey sure. he of course was the alternate captain playing for your country with a letter on your jersey uh maybe it was just too much for him and he decided he's going to be there so brock faber will play or at least will participate in camp you have to think he's only going to camp if he's going to play in right. the tournament db so Brock Faber there uh, with Team USA at the end of July. Hopefully, uh, he'll be at Los Angeles Development Camp. We'll have an opportunity to talk to him um, Mm -hmm. about just that. So a lot going on in in that world, DB. And then you're going to have a little bit of a break in the month of August. And then starting in September, right before or right around the time training camps are opening up, 
You're going to have the NHL rookie camp, which of course we've uh, been excited about the last couple of years. It's been in Vegas. It's been in Anaheim or Irvine technically. And then it was in, uh, it was in Arizona last year. It's going to be hosted by the San Jose uh, Barracuda slash sharks this year. And all of the uh, teams that have been participating the last couple of years will still be participating. There was some discussion about, well, somehow are the Kraken going to be involved, but no, they don't have enough sort of prospects pulled Prospect, together right, yet. Right. Yeah. So the Kraken will not be participating. It's going to be the same six teams, which would be San Jose, Vegas, Anaheim, Los Angeles, uh, Arizona, and Colorado. So the same six teams, and they're going to do a similar format to what, what happened last year in Arizona DB. They're going to have the tournament up in San Jose on Friday, Saturday, take mm-hmm. Sunday off and then have mm-hmm. all of the other games there on Monday. So um, that's good because they won't be competing against the NFL on Sunday. Sure. And so for those of us that are there uh, covering the tournament in September, we can also watch some football on Sunday. So that'll be, uh, that'll be enjoyable. That's what's to come. And then right after that DB, you're going to have training camp coming. And then you're going to have uh, the start of the NHL season, which looks to be around October 13th or 14th. Mm-hmm. But what I also wanted to talk to you about today, DB, is the renovation going on at crypto.com and the renovations going on at Toyota sports performance center, because sort of under our noses here, they have completed the construction. If you remember back to last year, I don't think you will DB, but some people might, I tweeted out that they they were going to convert the Olympic rink into an NHL sized Mm -hmm. rink that is now done at TSPC. So they have two NHL sized sheets now, which is going to help them, of course, because you have the Kings and the rain that sometimes are fighting for practice time there at the facility. So that is already done. That's going to help them also because the Kings are looking to host the NHL rookie tournament, not this September, but the following year. And so from what I understand, they're going to be putting in some additional grandstands here in the uh, months to come. They're redoing the seating. But how about this one? Uh, They're also redoing the showers, the cold and hot tubs, the steam and saunas, all the stuff that happens in the locker room. Basically, it's the last piece of the building that needs to be remodeled Mm -hmm. uh, since the building opened 23 years ago. So by the time they get through that stuff, DB, this building will have gone through a complete cosmetic Mm -hmm. and and, and even (laughs) functional remodel. Uh, which is pretty cool because, you know, the Kings aren't going to be moving their training facility anytime no. soon. So you want to have state of the art. Hopefully they can get as much of that stuff done before uh, they bring in Forsberg for his uh, UFA tour. Yes. And, John, uh, of course. <laughs> you know, because and remember, when, yeah, uh, Johnny Goodrow, of course. Uh, r- remember the, the famous uh, uh, recruiting. And when they trade for Alex to it, John, come on, let's go. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yes. All the, all the rumors, <laughs> but if you trade for him, it doesn't matter what your training facility looks like. You just, you own his rights, yeah, but for yeah, those, yeah. for those free you agents. You want to sign him long-term. That's, that's Okay. There you go. You, yes. You want to sign him long-term. You want to make a good first impression. That's the point I'm trying to <laughs> Always, get at. John. All right. So what about the other building? What about the big yes. building? So a couple of podcasts ago, I had mentioned that there was going to be a a teaser video, if you will, that's going to be released. And from what I understand, look for that video to be released this week. So uh, most likely the LA Kings organization is just waiting for the Stanley Cup to be awarded. Well, once that is done, hell, DB, the Kings have a lot of announcements to make. They did sneak in the Marco Sturm hiring, but they have a lot of announcements to make. GM Rob Blake has signed a multi-year extension. We believe it's three years. That should be announced. Mark Unetti has re-signed. He's going to continue mm-hmm. on with the Kings. That should be announced. And then the new bill, or not the new building, but the building renovations, which are going to kick into high gear here. They were sort of put on hold during the uh, the pandemic, some of them. 
but the the video will be released this week. So we'll be looking to that. It'll start to show some of the early signs of what the plans are, uh, you know, in the lower bowl and with some of the restaurants mm-hmm. and, and the lobby areas and uh, even what's going to happen upstairs in the building as well. So a little facelift. And DB, I think there's one thing. There's a drum that you keep pounding. Cheese, uh, cheese, no, change well, the scoreboard, please. <laughs> so, holy cow! So, so here's the thing: uh, <laughs> I'm looking to book Cheeseman to come on the podcast probably next weekend. Oh, uh, hopefully, dad. in the announcement, there's talk about the scoreboard because if not, I think you're going to want to do a good 10 minute rant about the scoreboard <laughs> at uh, Crypto.com. Yes, please, cheese. My neck. I don't have a good neck, and just uh, please. And I go to these other buildings, John. Like, even here in Tampa. You know, I've been to Seattle, so yeah. You know, that's that's why, that's my. Uh, I'm going to die on that hill. Let's go. Okay. Let's go <laughs> that's your, we we die. we still can't get you to Ontario, but man, we can get you to lobby for a good score. Oh yeah, that's not close. Not close to <laughs> please. Maybe right. maybe John. Maybe if they put a new scoreboard in Ontario. That's the only way. All right, all right, all right. We can argue about scoreboards and the Ontario rain and a whole bunch of other stuff in future episodes. That's going to wrap it up for today. Thank you to Jeff Chikrin for joining us from his uh, his cottage up there outside of Ottawa. We appreciate that. Telling some some great stories and reminiscing about his times with the LA Kings and even talking about the potential of another Chikrin wearing a six potentially here in Los Angeles. That was a lot of fun. We'll be back soon with another episode where we will talk more LA Kings and NHL hockey. Have a great week, everybody.